All right, we are back here with another edition of the Kerry Crowley Show. The Giants have made significant progress in their quest for a National League wildcard berth this week, but there's still an overwhelming sense of fan frustration emanating from the Bay Area, from social media channels, basically from everywhere you follow Giants baseball, there's this divide among fans who are excited about the playoff race and also concerned about the direction this franchise is headed. And I'm planning to get into all of that today and more. And I want to trace the roots of fan frustration back to 1958 when the Giants moved west from New York and the Polo Grounds out to San Francisco, beginning their era in the Bay Area at Seal Stadium, and help use that era as an explainer for why Giants fans of this current generation feel the way that they do about this team. And so before I do that, I think it's important for everyone to understand kind of where I'm coming from on this issue, because I covered the Giants for five seasons as a beat reporter for the Bay Area News Group and KMBR, and it gave me an incredible appreciation for Giants fans' passion. There's a lot of through lines from fans, even one that I spoke to last week, who was a fan of the San Francisco Giants dating back to their days at the Polo Grounds. This is someone who was going to games at the Polo Grounds when Willie Mays first came up in 1951, was excited to watch the Rookie of the Year. The 1954 World Series meant a lot to him. And then you have the fans in San Francisco who welcomed the team in 1958 when the Giants moved west. And there are lifelong fans. There are fans who, like me, uh, were born in the 1990s and All we knew was the 2010, 2012, 2014 World Series. We knew the Barry Bonds era. And I think that there's so many different perspectives blended here on the Giants. And what I really want to reiterate is that you know, as a beat reporter for the Bay Area News Group in KMBR, and as someone who's had the privilege of hosting shows on KMBR with both Marty Lurie and Bill Lasky. Bill, of course, a former player for the Giants. He does the post-game shows, does a tremendous job breaking down the state of the team, talking pitching, love talking ball with him. And Marty, who understands fans at their core, understands the passion that people bring to the game really on a deep level. It's given me this perspective of understanding both But I think the older generation of Giants fans feels toward this current team, which is, you know, excitement about the postseason race that they're in, but also a little apathy about the way that the team is built. And some of the younger fans, there's a lot of younger fans who have maybe more extreme opinions, who are, you know, really excited about the future of the organization, fully believe that Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler are well-equipped to lead the Giants into the future. And there's also a subset of fans who want them gone, who really want to see the Giants move into a different era of baseball, want different decision makers in San Francisco. And I will get into all of that throughout the episode and kind of try and trace the way that every fan feels about this team based on the different eras of Giants baseball and how those eras have set the Giants up for where they are right now and where they're headed at this inflection point, a really important part of where the Giants are going in their future. So before I do that, I think it's important for you to understand where I'm coming from. Like I said, uh, I grew up in San Francisco. My dad grew up going to 49ers games at Keysar Stadium. My mom grew up going to Giants games, watching Willie Mays, Willie McCovey at Candlestick Park. And I first fell in love with baseball at six years old. I I like to tell this story, and I've told it before, but the first game that I ever went to, Sean Estes was the starting pitcher for the Giants, and he got lit up. And I think it was three, four years ago, we're standing on the dugout railing at Wrigley Field. And I'd known Sean a little bit as He'd started broadcasting for NBC Sports Bay Area and was, you know, a regular guest on KMBR. He was asking me, you know, how I got into beat writing, how I got into the field. Sean's an incredibly nice guy, really fun to be around. I said, you know, 
my love of baseball actually started when you were a member of the San Francisco Giants. He said, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, actually, the first game I ever went to, you were the starting pitcher. And he said, how cool? How did I throw? And I said, well, Sean, I got to be honest. You got lit up. <laughs> you made it a really tough day at the yard. And even though that was the case, I'll never forget the way that it felt to fall in love with baseball. And I will never forget being a young fan in San Francisco of the Giants because my mom really gave me an appreciation for the history of the Giants. My dad gave me an appreciation for the San Francisco 49ers. It's how I became a diehard Niners guy. And look, they have won one Super Bowl in my lifetime. I was six months old, so it doesn't mean a whole lot. What they did in the 80s and the early 90s, yeah, it's incredible to watch highlights. It's incredible to watch the footage, but I'm of that generation that thinks, yeah, it's about time that they win a Super Bowl. And so I get the impatience. And on the baseball side, I grew up with Barry Bonds as kind of the incredible figure around Major League Baseball. I know that since we obviously learned a lot about Barry Bonds and uh, all that he did that took away from the game and, uh, you know, put asterisks on records. But nevertheless, when you're six, when you're seven, when you're eight years old and watching a home run chase and watching uh, someone break Mark McGuire's record, hitting 71 and then ultimately finishing with 73, when you see these milestone home runs, 500, 600, I was at 661 at Oracle Park when Barry Bonds surpassed Willie Mays and the incredible moment that they were able to share, you not only gain an appreciation for the moment, but you gain an appreciation for the history of the franchise and all that's transpired. And so I go from watching Barry Bonds as a young kid to when I first start pitching as a kid out at the Little League fields at West Sunset in San Francisco on the playgrounds, playing with kids from all different types of schools, public schools, Catholic schools, uh, Brandeis. We just had this great mix of kids on our team. And I was pitching and we were all following the Giants on a close basis. And that's when Tim Lincecum came through the Giants farm system. And he set the world on fire in Major League Baseball. Tim Lincecum was the pitcher who everyone wanted to watch across the country, whether you were on the East Coast, in the, te in the Central Time Zone. If Tim Lincecum was starting, all eyes were on San Francisco. All eyes were on Oracle Park. And Really, that magic never disappeared because Buster Posey comes up in 2010, in June of 2010, and leads the Giants to a World Series that year. And fans who'd waited 52 years for the Giants to deliver a title to the city of San Francisco and to the Bay Area in Northern California, they finally got that wish. And there's so many people that I remember talking to just being in awe of their stories, how they'd followed the Giants from the first day. One of my high school English teachers was there welcoming the Giants in a parade in San Francisco in 1958. And to see the meaning that this team, that this franchise has to so many different people from all different walks of life, I think that that's where we need to start this discussion, is to know that at its core, baseball is a sport that people care about very deeply. And the San Francisco Giants are a franchise that people care about very deeply. And so to see these strong opinions, to see people coming out either in favor of and supporting Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler, or saying that it's time to move the Giants into a different era, that they should lose their jobs, I understand every perspective because you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears, not necessarily, not literally, but you're putting your time, your energy, and your money into Giants baseball. And that matters. It's mattered to you for your whole life. And however you fell in love with baseball, it may be different than the way that I did, but chances are you loved going to a game. You loved a player. You remember a specific moment on television or a specific call from John Miller on the radio. Uh, my friends and I still toss around the Ruben Rivera call in our group messages from time to time. But chances are there was something that got you hooked 
on Giants baseball that made you a fan for life, and it gives you the validity to have your strong opinion. It gives you the perspective that you have now, and I think that understanding where you see the Giants right now and understanding where the Giants should go from here, it's all part of the greater story that baseball tells, and it's all part of the greater story in your life. And so I want to kind of trace the Giants' fan frustration, the source of it that we're seeing right now, all the way back to the beginning of the franchise. And I think to understand why Giants fans feel the way that they do, and to understand why Giants fans, many of them, feel that they've lost a connection to this team and to this franchise in recent years with Farhan Zaidi at the helm, with Greg Johnson, the owner at the helm of this franchise. And it's very important to point out Greg Johnson is the chairman of this franchise right now. You need to go back to 1958. And I'll do that in a moment. But first, I want to acknowledge this. Uh, the majority of Giants fans, I think, are upset with the state of the franchise. Even if they're excited about the possibility of a playoff run, even if they're excited about where this team might be able to get this season, especially in the last day or two as the Giants have gained ground in the National League wildcard race without actually playing a game in Colorado, there's still this kind of big picture perspective that a lot of people have that something might be wrong here. At least something feels different and something must change. And the reasons, as always, are multifaceted. But I see a common theme, and I said this earlier, some of the younger, more optimistic fans have a hard time seeing why older fans wouldn't be on board with Farhan Zaidi, with Gabe Kapler, with this new age approach to Major League Baseball. And some of the older, more seasoned fans that I talked to, they've called into KMBR a lot when I've been a guest host, they can't understand at all why the Giants would move forward with Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zaidi. So with two weeks to go in the regular season, a lot of people are trying to turn this into a black and white issue, but the reality is there's an incredible amount of gray area, and that gray area exists, in my opinion, because where the Giants stand today and where this franchise has been, and that is it is a star-driven model, it always has been, and to anyone who tries to dismiss the idea that the Giants can be successful without an anchor player, without a star, well... I invite you to listen to this trip down the history books, which is exactly what we're going to take right now. So I think that we've reached this inflection point because of the history of this franchise and where it's been, where it's going, and where it will ultimately be. And so trace this back to 1958. When the Giants moved west from New York, there are skeptical people in San Francisco. If baseball can work. There are people wondering, will I become a Giants fan? What's a reason to go to Seal Stadium? What's a reason to take in a ball game? And immediately, Willie Mays squashes those doubts. He puts all of those concerns that anyone might have to rest because he was already a generational talent when he arrived in San Francisco. By the time the Giants moved, Willie Mays was a Rookie of the Year. He had won an MVP award. He had won a World Series. He'd already authored the iconic moment at the Polo Grounds of the catch. And fans wanted to go out and see if he was worth the hype. And guess what? Willie Mays delivered. What other way is there to write that story, tell that story? Uh, he was second in MVP voting in 1958. He finished top six in MVP voting over each of the next eight seasons, including winning another MVP award. The guy hit like 40 home runs a year, was the best attraction in baseball. And so from the moment the Giants moved into San Francisco and had the opportunity to make an impression on their first fans in the Bay Area and the fans they were still holding on to from their days in New York, it was the Willie Mays show, and he's one of the generational attractions, one of the greatest players, potentially the greatest player to ever play the game, and the Giants had him, and they had fans hooked 
because of him from the moment that they started in this city. And guess what? It wasn't just Willie Mays. 1959, Willie McCovey comes up. When the Giants move, Orlando Cepeda accompanies Willie May. Cepeda was a can't-miss attraction through 1965 when he moves on to the Cardinals. And on top of all of that, you've got Juan Marichal, who has one of the most distinctive deliveries and leg kicks that we've ever seen from a pitcher. And he's got that in San Francisco for the first, what, 13, 14 years of the Giants' existence in the city. And so you're talking about an all-time collection of talent. And no, the Giants did not win a World Series title. But it's very easy to see how, especially at the beginning of that era, the Giants built up this massive fan base of people who still to this day write me letters, write the other beat reporters letters, write the people who cover this franchise notes about what it means to be a Giants fan, what it means to follow this franchise, and why they have concerns about where this franchise is going. And so then there's this really important period that kind of follows as Willie Mays hits the twilight of his career, as Willie McCovey moves on to different teams before he comes back to the San Francisco Giants. There's this era from 1974 to 1985 that I like to think of as the bleakest era of Giants baseball. And at that time, you have to remember, the Oakland A's were a powerhouse. They were a tight three straight World Series titles in the 1970s. The Giants were the second-rate team in the Bay Area. As hard as that is to remember for a lot of people, there was a time when the A's owned the Bay and the Giants at Candlestick Park were floundering. There was a brief moment of respectability during that, I guess, 10, 11 year era from 74 to 85. And that came in 1978. Giants won 89 games that year. I mean, a lot of people who were born in the early 60s who said it was the 78 team who they first fell in love with. And why do you think that was? Why did the Giants have a high watermark of 89 wins during that bleak era of Giants baseball in 1978? Well, I'll tell you why. It was the first year that Vita Blue was pitching for the San Francisco Giants, and everyone in the Bay Area knew him from his dominance with the Oakland A's and how exciting he was. You talk about one of the great young pitchers in baseball when he comes up, the Louisiana kid, the lefty. Vita Blue was a can't-miss attraction. At the same time, in 1978, when he makes the move over to San Francisco, the Giants bring up Jack Clark, and they've got not just a Rookie of the Year candidate, not just a future All-Star candidate, but someone who fans could see right away had an incredibly bright future in San Francisco if he could just stay healthy. And of course, we know that Jack Clark didn't stay healthy, but 1978, I, I said Rookie of the Year candidate, he came up a few years before that. 1978 was the year that Jack Clark became an All-Star. It was the year that he was realizing his potential in San Francisco. And so from 74 to 85, there are some dark, dark moments. There are some bad teams in San Francisco. But 1978, the Giants have that talent. They've got the homegrown talent in Jack Clark. They've got the can't-miss traction in Vita Blue. But after that, the dark ages kind of return. Just one season over 500 in the next six years, including a really important moment for the franchise, the devastating 100-loss season of 1985. And I think that this is where we start to see the Giants move into, I don't want to say the modern era, because I think that the current era of Giants baseball starts in 19, or excuse me, in 2018 when Farhan Zaidi takes over, but a different era of Giants baseball begins in 1986. Will Clark comes up to the major leagues, and he becomes this magnetic force who's capable of engineering an important turnaround. You go back to 85 when the Giants lost 100 games, attendance was putrid. It was in the 800,000s for the season. Will Clark comes up, hits the home run 
off of Nolan Ryan in an incredible fashion on opening day, and the Giants immediately turn things around in 86. They end up with an attendance of 1.5 million, and attendance is important to remember. At this time and Right now in 2023, as the Giants are struggling to sell tickets the way they did during the early years of McCovey Cove and China Basin and this ballpark along the waterfront at the Embarcadero. But by 1988, Will Clark is a bona fide all-star. He's becoming the perennial guy that Giants fans can rally around. They knew that he was the magnetic force when he came up in 86. But again, he becomes kind of this anchor figure for the organization. And while the organization is happy to have him, and it seems to be moving in the right direction, seems to be moving out of that dark ages, that bleak period from 74 to 85, the Giants still aren't drawing the attendance that they should. They still aren't moving the needle in the way that you would think for a team in San Francisco, the team that so many of us know ever since they moved to Oracle Park, ever since they moved downtown San Francisco, they've just been a cash cow. They've been able to print tickets until basically the last four years due to the pandemic and really what has transpired with the roster building strategies since the pandemic and since Farhan Zaidi's taken over. So, uh, Brief deviation from the history lesson, let's get back to the early 90s. It's clear the Giants need a new ballpark, and at the time, Bob Lurie was ready to sell the team. We all know the story. It's incredible. Peter McGowan comes in with a group of investors. They save the day. They buy the team. Then they go out and they sign Barry Bonds to a deal that they didn't even think that they could afford at the time, but they knew was critical to turning around the fortunes of the Giants franchise and making the Giants once again, a can't-miss attraction in San Francisco, the same type of can't-miss attraction that they were when they first moved in 1958 and when the ballpark at Candlestick first opened in 60. They just had all these incredible players. And finally, after Will Clark comes up and injects the Giants fan base with a sense of hope, Barry Bonds comes to San Francisco from Pittsburgh and completely changes the fortunes of the franchise. It doesn't hurt that in 1993, Bonds' first season with the franchise after the new ownership group takes over, that it's a 103-win team and he wins his third MVP award. But you have to remember, after that, momentum around the Giants franchise, it was slowed a little bit by the 1994 strike. Attendance dips again. The Giants aren't as good in the middle of the 1990s. And by 2000, the Giants reach a really critical point in the franchise's history. That's when they open the waterfront ballpark at China Basin. Oracle Park, back at the time, AT&T, SBC, Pac-Bell, you trace the names back, whatever it is, it is the gold standard across Major League Baseball. And 24 years later, it still is the gold standard across Major League Baseball. I've had the good fortune of traveling around Wrigley, Fenway, PNC Park, Petco Park. There's so many great ballparks across America. Folks in San Francisco, the Giants absolutely have one of the very best. And I think that visiting fans will tell you that. I think that season ticket holders alike will tell you that. It's just an incredible place to watch a game, especially when you juxtapose it with Candlestick Park where the Giants had that long period, 74 to 85, where they weren't drawing at all. And there was the period where they thought that they might have to sell the team because they couldn't build a ballpark. And you just go back to 2000 and you think about how much that new ballpark changed the franchise. And it's orders of magnitude different than it was before the Giants built Oracle Park as it is today. And so Barry Bonds and the home run chase of 2001 kind of sets the tone for the future of Oracle Park and what fans can come to expect inside the ballpark. And that is, there's a magnetic presence, there's an anchor figure, there's an energy, there's a buzz. When Barry Bonds is up at the plate, you wanna watch. If Barry Bonds is on deck, you're not leaving your seat. If Barry Bonds is in the hole, 
you're still not leaving your seat and you're rushing back to your seat if you'd gone to buy food or gone to use the restroom. He was that kind of figure. But you have to remember, as the Barry Bonds era ended in San Francisco, the Tim Linscombe era was beginning. 2007, they shared a roster together. As Tim Linscombe came up to the big leagues and Barry Bonds was on his way out of the big leagues, the Giants had this seamless transition to where Linscombe, who was immediately, as a rookie, a can't-miss attraction, even if the numbers didn't start to come for him until 2008 and 2009, everyone knew that Tim Linscombe represented someone absolutely special, someone who fans could rally around. There's Let Timmy Smoke. There's all these incredible memories that you build at the ballpark and you build watching and listening to games because of Tim Linscombe, because of what he meant to Giants fans. Like the everyman getting out there, five foot 10, 160 pounds, dripping wet, and he's firing 100 mile an hour fastballs with devastating changeups past hitters. So you go from Barry Bonds to Tim Linscombe. And yeah, the Giants dipped in 2007, 2008. The team wasn't nearly as good as it had been at the early of the t- at the early onset of the 2000s, 2002 when they make the wild card run and 2003 when they win 100 games. But the Giants fans still have a reason to come to Oracle Park. And that is Tim Linscombe, it's Matt Cain, it's the emerging young talents. And then everything changes again in 2010 when Buster Posey gets the call to the big leagues because You think about what Buster Posey has meant to this franchise. Is he the best player in franchise history? No, you can make the debate. Willie Mays, Barry Bonds. Is he the most important figure in franchise history? Now, that's an argument I would absolutely hear because of what he meant to the 2010, 2012, and 2014 World Series teams, and in my opinion, a team that will go down in Giants history, the 2021 107-win team that finally dethroned the Dodgers and won the National League West. And so, You go from Bonds when the ballpark opens, to Linscombe when Bonds' career ends, to Buster Posey becoming the everyday player who fans wanted to buy jerseys of, who was, once again, Giants in the eighth inning, down by a run, down by two, guys on base. If Buster Posey's coming to the plate, you're watching that at bat. No, he did not finish his career with 200 home runs. No, he was not the greatest offensive player of all time. But there was a magnetic presence about Buster Posey. He gave fans hope. He gave fans belief. And ultimately... He served as the anchor presence that Willie Mays once was, that Willie McCovey and Juan Marichal once were, that Will Clark once was, that Barry Bonds once was, that Tim Linscombe once was, and Buster Posey carried the Giants through the back half of the 2010s because there was still, even when he was dealing with the injury in 2018 to his hip, coming back from that hip surgery in 2019, there was still a reason to watch the Giants, and that was still because Buster Posey could produce magic. Even if he wasn't the same player as he was at the beginning of his career, there was a belief among Giants fans that Buster Posey could will the Giants to the finish line at the end of a game, and quite often, he did deliver. There were times where he had nothing in his hip, and he still shot a ball to right field because he was just a professional hitter, the likes of which we have not seen since he retired, which of course is just two years ago, but it's a long two years because you think about the history of this franchise, and It's always been guided by these incredible anchor figures, these magnetic star presences. And so to think about where the Giants are now and struggling to fill the shoes that Buster Posey left behind, it's not just finding your next franchise catcher. And I quite frankly think that Patrick Bailey can be that guy. It's finding the figure who's going to be your leader, your face of the franchise, and your generational talent, because that's the standard in San Francisco. The standard was set when the Giants moved in 1958. It's having a generational talent that fans can rally around. And you can look at the Giants' current roster and say, Logan Webb, 
he potentially is good enough to win a Cy Young one day. I think that he is an all-star caliber pitcher, absolutely deserving of the extension. But does he get that recognition on the national stage? Not yet. Camilo Doval, is he one of the best closers in baseball? Might he be the best closer in baseball? I absolutely you could make you think you could make a compelling case. But I don't know that he has that national reputation yet. And you look at the rest of the Giants' core right now in year five of Farhan Zaidi, and people are still waiting. They're still waiting for that generational talent to come to San Francisco. They're still waiting for that player to come through the farm system and change everything. They're still waiting for someone who you know you can go to the dugout store and buy their jersey, and they will be here in the middle of the lineup for the next five, six, and seven years. Because right now, I think one of the main issues that the Giants have in terms of fan apathy and fan concern about the future is not that this team isn't building something that could be productive in the future. I actually think that Farhan Zaidi has done a pretty good job of massaging the back end of the Giants roster, raising the floor of this franchise, and doing what really was an impossible task, what Heim Bloom failed to do in Boston with the Red Sox, and that is meeting the goals of ownership, which is avoiding a full-scale rebuild, maintaining a competitive baseball team, which is what the Giants have largely done during the Farhan Zaidi tenure. But again, you're asking Farhan to meet the goals of ownership, which are practically impossible, and then meet the fans where they are, which is a fan base that expects the Giants to be a contender, a fan base that expects the Giants to have a generational talent and someone to rally around, and a fan base that wants someone who is going to give them a reason to believe on a daily basis. And right now, you go into the eighth inning of Wednesday's ballgame against the Cleveland Guardians, I don't know how many people believe that J.D. Davis was going to hit that three-run home run. And I don't know how many people believed if Mike Yastrzemski or Lamont Wade Jr. was at the plate in that situation, or you've got Luis Matos, the young kid in center field, up in that situation, that someone would have delivered. And the real issue, I think, is you can't build a consensus among fans. Right now, everyone would tell you that Wilmer Flores is the guy that they want at the plate in these late-and-clutch situations. But how many Wilmer Flores jerseys are you selling? How long do you think Wilmer Flores is going to be the best hitter in your lineup? Is it going to be more than just two months? Is it going to be five years? No. We know that that's not who Wilmer is as a ball player. I think fans are thrilled that Wilmer has had the second half of the season that he's had. I think fans are extremely excited about what Wilmer Flores has meant to this team because it's helped them stay in the race during the second half of the season. But if you're talking about a generational figure, a guidepost, an anchor for the future— no offense to Wilmer Flores, that's not who he is. That's not who he, he was signed to be. And the reality is the Giants don't have players who were signed to be that, and they haven't developed a player in five years under Farhan Zaidi who can be that player yet. Maybe Kyle Harrison is the next Tim Linscom. Maybe Marco Luciano is the next incredible talent in the infield. But five years in, we still don't have that answer. We still don't know where the Giants are headed in that regard. And that, to me, is an issue because... You, about, you go back to Farhan Zaidi's opening press conference back November 4th, 2018. He said, at the time, no move is too small to not be worth a certain level of detail and effort. And therein lies how the Giants have been able to stay competitive and the problem that they have moving forward. Because while they've maintained a competitive team. While Mike Yastrzemski and Lamont Wade Jr. were great finds, while Blake Sable was a strong Rule 5 draft pick, while they rehabilitated the career of a Kevin Gossman and an Alex Cobb and a Carlos Rodon, pitchers who were flawed, pitchers who dealed with injuries, no move has been too big 
during the Farhan Zaidi era, during Greg Johnson's ownership tenure as the chairman of the San Francisco Giants, as the face of the ownership group, and it's a complicated ownership group, but no move has been too big to bring people to the ballpark on a consistent basis. The Giants have six home games left in a season where attendance is up across Major League Baseball. And there's still uncertainty in San Francisco if the Giants will outperform their 2022 attendance threshold. You go back to 2008, which was a year where the Giants had moved on from Barry Bonds and they didn't have an everyday superstar talent. Yes, they had Tim Linscombe and Matt Cain in the rotation, but there was still a team that was going to win fewer than 75 games. There was still a team that was looking for a guiding figure, an offensive force like a Buster Posey, like a Barry Bonds, someone who gave you belief, and it was still a team that didn't have that. That Giants team in 2008 drew 2.8 million people to Oracle Park. This year, the Giants are about to cross 2.3 million. They'll be fortunate to get just above 2.4 million. They will not come within the range of 2.8 million, which is what they had in 2008. And I know that there's a lot of people who don't want to hear about attendance, especially since the pandemic. There's a lot of people who realize that San Francisco has changed, that it's a different city, that certain people aren't comfortable coming back to the ballpark. And I get it. I do. I understand those perspectives. But I'm of the belief that all of this changes if the Giants have that anchor figure, that central force, that one person who gets fans to believe. Lacking a magnetic star is an issue for the San Francisco Giants right now. But keep in mind, this is not the only reason that people have lost touch, in their opinion, with the franchise. I think you go back to 1993, when Peter McGowan and the group of investors took over and they made the bold decision to bring in Barry Bonds. And Giants fans became accustomed to bold decision-making from ownership. They became accustomed to a front office led by Brian Sabian that was going to make big-time moves. You go back to the Jeff Kent, the Matt Williams deals. You go back to 2001 when they acquired Jason Schmidt or whenever that happened. You just knew that Brian Sabian was setting a tone in that regard. And let's not forget, look, after the 2007-2008 seasons, there were people who were ready to let Brian Sabian go and say, hey, you've had enough cracks at this. It's not working out. But the bottom line is, the Giants stayed aggressive, even when Peter McGowan was no longer the primary chairman of the organization anymore. And Bill Newcomb was the primary chairman. Bill Newcomb became the face of the franchise for a brief period. And then Charles Johnson, Greg Johnson's father, becomes not really a face of the franchise because Charles Johnson was never the outward figure, but he was pulling the strings behind the scenes. He was the one with the majority, or not a majority, but the most shares in this very complicated ownership scheme that the Giants have. The Giants' owners were aggressive. They had a high payroll. They had a payroll that was consistently ranked at or near the top of Major League Baseball. And at the trade deadline, they would go out. If they had a winning team, they would add to that winning team. Under Greg Johnson, I feel, and a lot of fans feel, the Giants have taken a step back. And that, to me, is one of the biggest issues with the organization right now is they, right now, have the 10th or 11th highest payroll in Major League Baseball. But that figure is a little misleading because they're still 20 million behind the team in ninth place or eighth place in the Atlanta Braves. They're still in the 180 million range, 190 million range, which is where the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs are this season. Two organizations that try to thread the needle that are caught in between, whose fan bases really throughout this season have felt pretty similarly to Giants fans. You think about Cubs fans, you think about Red Sox fans, you think about people who expect their franchise to be in it 
on an annual basis, to be in the race, in the postseason, in the conversation, in contention, and heading into the year, there were big picture questions for both those franchises, much like there were big picture questions for the Giants. Jed Hoyer, Heim Bloom, Farhan Zaidi, they've all had almost impossible needles to thread because they're working for owners who don't want to spend like a Steve Cohen spends, like a Peter Seidler spends down in San Diego, like the Dodgers spend down in LA. And so they're trying to thread this needle of staying competitive while also developing talent in the farm system, while also not spending too much money. It's impossible. It's a really difficult ask. And so I think if the Giants are going to make a big step forward in 2024, if Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler are still around and Greg Johnson has given the indication that they will to Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle, credit to her for pursuing that story and getting that out of Greg Johnson on Thursday this week. I think there needs to be a greater commitment from ownership. I think there needs to be bigger, bolder moves from ownership. I think that needs to trickle down to the front office. And it can't just be sign this central figure, sign this star. It needs to be supplement this roster. Because look at this Giants team right now. J.D. Davis, Mike Yastrzemski, Lamont Wade Jr., Austin Slater. These are all guys who are regularly in the lineup. But do fans really know if they're going to be regularly in the lineup in 2024? Can they really count on that? I don't think any of them are absolutely 100% guaranteed a spot. Do I think all of them will be back? Yeah. The answer is yes. But what will their playing time look like? I think that there's big questions about how the Giants run their franchise, how the Giants run their operation under Greg Johnson. And I think that those have trickled down to Farhan Zaidi in his front office. Because for years, Giants fans have been sold on the pursuit of stars. You know, some of those stars that the Giants have tried to go after would have been great, would have been franchise-altering figures. Bryce Harper, Shohei Otani. I mean, think about how different the Farhan Zaidi era looks if they give $40 million more in the contract negotiations to Bryce Harper. If the National League has a DH, maybe the San Francisco Giants are the team that signs Shohei Otani when he ultimately signs with the Angels down in LA. And then there were free agent pursuits or trade pursuits that didn't necessarily work out or probably wouldn't have looked good for the Giants. Carlos Correa, who's to say that 13 years, $350 million would have been the undoing of this franchise or John Carlos Stanton trading for him. Uh, Giants wouldn't have given up that much talent in that deal. But again, you had been loaded down by that contract. That may not have worked out. But the bottom line is you keep talking about these big names. You keep telling this story. John Lester, Aaron Judge, this offseason is going to be Shohei Otani round two. Fans feel like they've been promised the presence of a star. And in fact, in San Francisco, dating back to 1958, as I just laid out, they've been accustomed to the presence of a star. That is no longer the case in San Francisco. Since Buster Posey retired, the Giants have been unable to fill those shoes. So the bottom line is, there's no one on this Giants roster right now who makes fans stop what they're doing and watch. There's no one on this Giants roster right now, like a Bryce Harper would have been, like a Shohei Otani would have been, who makes you say, hey, let's go to the ball game tonight because we might see a Harper or an Otani home run. Let's go to the ball game tonight because Otani's pitching and Otani's hitting. And look, in isolation, you can say, yeah, it's really tough to sign a superstar. These one-off cases, individually, it's really tough. But when you miss six, seven, eight times, fans are going to grow impatient. I think that's why there was such exuberance, such jubilation when the Giants agreed to that contract with Carlos Correa. Is he a generational figure? Maybe not. But is he a star that people felt like they could rally around, that people felt like he could be the face of this franchise, that he could anchor the next core of this organization? There was at least hope. And I think that hope 
and optimism. The Giants have that player to fill the shoes of the long line of superstars that come through San Francisco. I think that that hope is lacking. I've talked to people who cover the farm system. Roger Munter does a great job. He said the other day to me on this podcast, you know, too much of watching Giants baseball right now is watching the front office think. We're not watching superstars on the field. And that, to me, is the core issue that the Giants have. And so regardless whether you're excited about this 75 and 71 team with 16 games to play, and I think you should be. I think getting to the playoffs, I just did a whole episode about this. Getting to the playoffs would be really important for these young players on the San Francisco Giants and for the trajectory of where this franchise needs to go. But I also understand the trepidation. I also understand that, hey, you're five years in, Farhan Zaidi should probably be the first person telling you that they haven't done a good enough job in getting that central figure, in getting that magnetic force, in getting that anchor superstar. And look, selling those jerseys, selling those tickets, getting people into the ballpark. Because the attendance numbers in September, I guarantee you ownership is looking at that right now and taking a good, long, hard look at whether this model is sustainable. Yes, the Giants have said that Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapper will be back next season. But will they be back with a superstar to rally around? I think that that's a real question. You go back to the Giants under Farhan Zaidi, or excuse me, under Brian Sabian, Bobby Evans, and Bruce Bochy, the Giants were one of the last organizations clinging to this old era of baseball that, for better or worse, doesn't really exist anymore. And I want, I really want fans to understand this as we move forward, as we move toward the final days of the regular season and toward the offseason where Farhan probably will making the calls for the Giants. I think that people feel the way they do about the franchise because there's been so much change thrust at them over the last four or five seasons. The Giants went from having this dynamic long line of managers in dating back to 1985 at the end of the season when Roger Craig comes in as the interim. You've got Roger Craig, you've got Dusty Baker, you've got Felipe Alou, and you've got Bruce Bochy. That's 35 years in which you did not fire a manager and you had an incredible group of men who were presences. Look, you go back to Roger Craig, hum baby. Dusty Baker wearing the wristbands. He's got the toothpick. Felipe Alou, I think one of the all-time baseball men and so iconic in the way that he spoke and the fury that he would have after a loss. And uh, Giants fans resonated with that. And Bruce Bochy speaks for himself. I think when you look up a baseball manager in the dictionary, you could see a, fa- a face of Bruce Bochy right there. I mean, the guy oozes baseball manager, old school baseball manager. And so the change to Gabe Kapler has also been stark for Giants fans. So not only do they have this next-gen front office and Farhan Zaidi who runs things differently than Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans, not only do they lack this generational talent at the front of the organization, they also have a manager who, for better or worse, doesn't really connect with Giants fans on the way that Roger Craig, Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, and Bruce Bochy did. And maybe that's an impossible standard for Gabe Kapler to hold. But I also want you to realize that As I covered Major League Baseball, and as I wrote about the team, as I've talked about this team on the air, I would say that 90% of fans, which is 27 out of 30 teams, they're dissatisfied with their manager. They're dissatisfied with their bullpens. They want to see change in the manager's seat in the dugout. They want to see change throughout their bullpen. Gabe Kaffler is no exception to that. I think you look at LA with the Dodgers, there's a very vocal group of fans who, despite that team contending every year, feel that Dave Roberts is a puppet for management. 
You know, you look at San Diego with Bob Melvin. He wasn't able to bring people together this year. The Padres are flawed. You look at New York with the Mets, with Buck Showalter, the old school manager, that didn't work. You look at the new school managers around Major League Baseball, for the most part, that's where all of these decisions, these hiring moves are headed. There's going to be fewer Showalters, fewer Dusty Bakers, fewer Bruce Bochies in the game. And I'll tell you, you're going to see more and more figures like Gabe Kapler. So the idea that the Giants would replace Gabe Kapler and find someone better than him to carry out the orders of this current front office, I think it's preposterous. I think that you can dislike Gabe Kapler, but that dislike stems from your dislike of the front office. It stems from your dislike of ownership. It stems from the fact that you no longer feel a connection with Giants baseball. And to me, that's the real issue that the Giants have to rectify. It's not Gabe Kapler saying that they're starting a bullpen game, saying that they're platooning, saying that, hey, we're going to pull Brandon Crawford in favor of Mark Mathias, which, of course, is a major issue. But those decisions are no longer made in the dugout. What once was done by Dusty Baker and Felipe Alou is no longer done by the modern baseball manager. Those decisions are made in the front office and at a higher level of the organization. The manager is no longer a strategist. The manager is a messenger. And hey, you may not like the message because it's not a message that sounds like Bruce Bochy. It's not a message that sounds like Felipe Alou, and that's okay. But if you don't like the strategy, if you don't like the way that the Giants are playing, that is a front office move. That is a, hey, I don't like a bullpen game. I totally get it. I don't like a bullpen game. But that decision comes from the front office. And I really want people to understand that. So I think that all of this change that transpired over the last four or five years has led to this inflection point that Giants fans are currently at, where this team is in the midst of a playoff race. And I use that term loosely because I don't believe that a third wild card is that big of an achievement. However, I do think it's important. But I will say, I understand the people who aren't that excited that this team is in a playoff race because the Giants lack a central figure. The front office operates in a different fashion than Giants fans have been accustomed to for the last 50 plus years of baseball in San Francisco. And the manager is a stark contrast from the four managers that they had preceding him. However, that is the way that baseball is trending. That's the way the Giants are going. And if the Giants ultimately got rid of Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler, I promise you, they would hire someone else who is just as interested in implementing analytics. They would hire someone else who is just as much of a puppet for ownership, if that's the term that you want to use, or a puppet for front office leadership, if that's the term that you want to use, that's fine. But they would hire someone who has a connection with the front office, who's carrying out the front office orders, who believes in analytics, because that's the way the game has gone. And I think that we can sit here and mourn the way that things have changed, and you can sit here and be upset, but I think we also need to grapple with the reality that if the Giants are going to succeed, it's probably not going to be a change in the front office structure, in the manager. It's going to come from ownership investing more money in this product, ownership really committing to winning. That's on Greg Johnson. And it's going to come on finding that central force, on finding the next figure who can be the face of your franchise and lead your organization. The Giants had Willie Mays when they moved to San Francisco. They had Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, Juan Marichal, all these incredible talents. The one year during the Dark Ages, 1974 to 1985, that they actually performed well, they had Vita Blue in the rotation and Jack Clark making his first All-Star game. Then Will Clark became the central figure for this organization. Then it was Barry Bonds. And since the Giants have opened this waterfront ballpark, all anyone knew for two decades was superstars. It was Bonds, it was Lincecum, it was Bumgarner, and it was Buster Posey. 
And now that Buster Posey is retired, it has put the Giants at a crossroads they just can't seem to get past. Think how different this organization might look if Bryce Harper had been given $40 million more. How different this organization would look if the Giants in 2019 had drafted Corbin Carroll instead of Hunter Bishop in the first round. The bottom line is this. The Giants can still make the playoffs this year. They can still be an exciting baseball team. They can still do things that should generate fan interest. But I think we all agree, whether you're on board or completely off the train, that change must happen this offseason. Because fair or not, to Greg Johnson, Farhan Zaidi, or Gabe Kapler, the standard in San Francisco is having a generational talent that people can rally around, root for, buy their jersey, and go buy tickets to see. And right now, the Giants are lacking that presence. Fans need someone that they can go watch on a daily basis. And the Giants right now don't have that face in the organization. I am Kerry Crowley. This is the Kerry Crowley Show. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope this helps give you an appreciation and understanding for where every fan's perspective is coming from. Young, old, in between, on board, off the train, wherever you stand. I think we can all agree that just like Joe Lacob needed Steph Curry, just as Kyle Shanahan now needs Brock Purdy, the Giants, Greg Johnson, Farhan Zaidi, and Gabe Kapler need a generational talent to be the face of the franchise. Five years into this Farhan era, the Giants are still searching, and that is where this fan angst comes from. That is the source of SF Giants fan frustration. Thank you.